Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. As good a person as God seemed to think he was, could Job really prove himself to be faithful as God had said that he was faithful? This is the thing that we want to, to answer this evening. Before we do, let's pause for just a moment of prayer. Lord God, take us into your care now as we look into the life of Job to see what kind of person he was and relate ourselves to him. May we find your blessing on our lives in this evening of fellowship together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Down at the sixth verse. This morning we dealt with the first five verses, which pointed out that uh, Job was called by God to be a very righteous man, and he made this statement to Satan himself. We discovered that uh, Job was so concerned not only about himself, but about his family, that he sacrificed and he offered prayers for the welfare, the spiritual welfare of his children. Now, as we begin this evening, we discover that there was a day when the sons of God came to, the, uh, to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Somebody, I don't remember who, but in recent weeks asked me, why it was that God allowed Satan to be in heaven. And I don't know as I still can answer that. That question has bothered me. But, remember, Satan at one time was called Lucifer. He was the chief of all the angels of heaven, the most beautiful, the most trusted of all of the creations of heaven was, was Lucifer until he decided that he ought to be God. The term sons of God that are used here are making reference to the angels and you could very easily write in your Bible as I have done and use the word angels and there was a day when the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. Now, Satan was an angel, and I can only presume that even though Satan now is a fallen angel, he is still expected to report his activities to God. And that's the only answer I can come up with as to why he might be allowed into heaven, and that is that God is still in control of the entire universe, and he requires an accounting of everyone. Even his angels must account to him as to their activities, to what they were doing, just as much as you and I are accountable to God. We sometimes think we can go on in this life without ever having to make a response to God at all, but that's not true. Every one of us must give an account of himself to God, and the same thing is true of the angels. So the angels came on this particular day into the presence of the Lord, and Lucifer, or Satan as he is now called, was among them in order to give a report of their activities. All of the angels have an assigned responsibility. There are things that they must do. We'll not spend time this evening talking about those. 
and amongst them as they came were Satan. And the Lord, in verse 7, the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? In other words, where have you been? What have you been doing? Give a report of your activities. And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Where do you find the devil? Well, upon earth, of course. Why is he here? Because it's here that he can wreak out more havoc against God than he can any place else because he is trying to tear down the very uh, creation that God has brought into being. The supreme creation that God made was, were, were men, men and women. We are God's creation, created in his image. We were given the free will to choose and to do and God wants us to serve him because we love him. And uh, so in order for Satan to do his worst against God, he is going to work in the lives of people. Anything Satan does is designed to tear us down so that he can tear God down. If you think you're going to escape the, the, the wiles of the devil, as the scripture says, there's only one reason you would escape that, and because you're already in his control and he doesn't have to worry about you. If you are under the, the gun with Satan trying you in every way to do something with you, be absolutely sure that's happening because you belong to God. If you already belong to Satan, he doesn't have to fool with you. I mean, why waste time if he's already got you? But if you belong to the Lord, he's going to work very hard against you. And so where is the devil upon earth in the lives of people trying to destroy people in order that he can discredit God? And so he answers honestly. Where have you been? And Satan says, I've been down on earth going to and fro. Now in 1 Peter 5.8, we have an interesting verse of scripture that Peter gives us an admonition, a command, an encouragement to the church when Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your adversary the devil, 1 Peter 5, 8 is where I am, for those of you who are turning there, your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You can be absolutely sure that if you belong to the Lord, he is your adversary. And he is going around this world like a roaring lion, meaning vicious, meaning trying to find a, a victim, someone that he can seek out and devour. What? He, certainly. He will present himself... Uh, as an angel of light, as something beautiful. He is not going to present himself as, a, as a, the image that we have of the devil, somebody in a red suit with a tail and horns. We would be afraid of that kind of character. The devil comes in an image, as Dillard has said, he is going to deceive us and making us think that he is desirable and appealing. He's going to strike us in the areas where we are vulnerable and cause us to think that what he wants us to do is good, and it ought to be done. He is going to and fro in the earth, seeking whom he may devour. So he's honest in what he has said that his purpose is. Now in the midst of this conversation, verse 8 says, And the Lord said unto Satan, 
Hast thou considered my servant Job? I wonder how many times he's used my name or he's used your name in the same conversation. Have you considered my servant Danny? Have you considered my servant Dillard? I'll pick on you too since you're up front here and I can see you easy. Or used your name? When Satan comes to report to God and, and here he stands now before, before God and what have you been doing? I've been down on earth. Did you consider my servants there in the Olive Branch Baptist Church? God goes on and says, there's none like him in all the earth. And then he repeats what we found over in the early portion of the chapter. Verse 1, as a matter of fact, a perfect man, an upright man, one that fears God and escheweth evil. And do you remember what I said the word escheweth means? Can anybody tell me what I said escheweth means? I want you to remember that. If you eschew evil, what do you mean by eschewing evil? What? Run from it. I heard somebody say, avoid the very appearance of it. Right? Run from it. Flee from it. Have nothing to do with it. And this was the kind of man that Job was. So he eschewed evil. Now the question is, was God justified in building this man up like this? Well, If you would take the words, hast thou considered my servant Job, and go back to the original translation, you might be able to interpret it this way. Have you set your heart on my servant Job? In other words, have you picked him out as a victim? Have you decided to destroy him if you can? To devour him as Peter said? Now, remember the scripture tells us that we ought to be glad if we're persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Are you persecuted? Then we ought to praise God for it. Because... That would indicate that we belong to God to such a degree that Satan has to point us out, select us especially, to work against us in order to try to tear down our testimony because it's so strong he's got to destroy it if he possibly can. Now if you have been selected of the devil as a special project on his list to destroy that ought to be a blessed event in your life because that means you really belong to God. And God is saying to Satan, have you considered my servant? Satan said, yep, I certainly have. I've thought about him or her a lot. And I have selected him or her as a special project to tear him down. Satan answers in verse 9 the 
compliment that God has paid to Job and says to him, Job fears God for nothing. That's a question, not for nothing. Which means, if we want to put it in a, in a, a statement instead, Satan is saying the only reason that Job fears you, that is reverence you, remember we use the word fear and, with reverence, the only reason that Job reverences you is because of the benefits he gets from you. Remember, Job is a wealthy man with ten children, seven boys and three girls, and all of the cattle and, and, and so on that he has, so that he was the wealthiest man in the entire eastern part of the world. And he's saying the only reason that man loves you, that man has reverences for you, is because of what he gets from you. Now I want to ask you the question, why do you reverence God? Why do you love him? Why do you serve him? Only because what you get in return? We can go over to Daniel chapter 3 for a moment. I'm not going to read it, but I want to tell you the story that's there. There were three Hebrew children named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You recall those fellows, don't you? There was another guy by the name of Daniel. There were four of them. But I want to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The order was that all people must fall down before the king and worship the king as God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we won't do it. And so they were ordered to be thrown into the fiery furnace. The king was so angry with them that he ordered the furnace to be heated several times hotter than it normally was. I believe it was seven times hotter if I remember right. It was so hot that when the guards caught these three men to throw them into a furnace where they would smelt down iron ore in order to make uh, iron uh, implements, Throw them in there, obviously they're going to be burned to a crisp, nothing left. It was so hot that when the soldiers or the guards got close enough to throw the men in, that the fire killed them there on the spot. But the men were thrown in. Look at verse 17, if you are back there in Daniel chapter 3. The response that these men made to the king when they refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar the king and worship him, he made, they made a very profound statement that says, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now listen. These men were making a stand and they were saying, now listen, king, we don't know if God will deliver us from this furnace. But you know this, king, that whether he delivers us or not, we will not bow down before your image and worship false gods. Now, that's pretty strong speaking. 
that it made no difference to these men what God might or might not do with their life. They were not going to bow down before any pagan image. Job is saying, or rather God is saying, that Job is perfect, Job is upright, Job is honest, and Satan is saying the only reason he is is because you protect him. You build a hedge around him. You, you take care of him. You don't let anybody get near him. Well, that was a serious charge. And the charge probably was right. God had blessed and protected Job to the point that, that Satan couldn't get to him. Listen, God puts hedges around us at times to protect us from the fiery darts of the devil. Is that the only reason that we love him and serve him is because he protects us? The three Hebrew children would say that's not our reason for serving God. Whether he protects us or not is of no consequence. We still will not bow, uh, bow down and serve your pagan gods. The end of that story is that uh, when they went back to look into the fiery furnace to see what happened to the three, three fellows, there were four in there. The king said, I thought we'd put three in, and there's four in there, and that fourth one looks like the Son of God. I'll tell you, there was a hedge around those guys. God protected them because of their faithfulness. But their response was, whether God puts a hedge around us or not makes no difference. We will still serve the Lord. We will not serve pagan gods. And that ought to be the response and the answer that we make, whether God puts a hedge around us or not. We're going to serve the Lord. It's up to Him to decide if He protects us or not. We'll still be faithful. Now, Satan says in verse 11, Put forth thy hand and touch all that he has, and he'll curse thee to thy face. You know, there are many people who will do that very thing. There are many people who are fair-weather Christians. Who will serve the Lord and love Him as long as everything goes fine? But when things get tough, then they begin to wonder about their faith and doubt their, their belief and doubt the church and stay away from the church and do all kinds of things to leave God out. If there is a time in our lives that we need God, it's when we're in difficulty. Why is it that we will forsake the church and forsake the gospel and forsake Jesus Christ in times of difficulty? I've seen people who have lost loved ones and don't come to church for a month or two. That's the wrong time to start staying away from church. That's the time we need to be here. I've seen people who have all kinds of difficulties. People going through family problems and particularly people going through divorce and, uh, and family difficulties will forsake the church if there's ever a time a person needs the influence of the church. And, and Christian fellowship, it ought to be during times of difficulty. That's when we ought to be here. And some of you can testify to the fact that you have received strength in your times of difficulty because you've come to the body of Christ. Now, Satan says, you touch his body, you take away from him that which he has, and he'll, he'll curse you to your face. Well, this is a pretty good challenge. So what does the Lord do? The Lord takes down the hedge. He takes away the protection. All right, in verse 12 he says, The Lord says to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in thy power. 
only upon him do not put your hand. I want you to notice something very definitely here. The Lord still controls Satan and only lets him go to the length that the Lord is willing to let him go. And the day is coming when the Lord is going to call him in and give him the punishment that he deserves for his belligerence against God himself. Why then does Satan have the power that he has? I want, today I want to suggest to you that Satan is allowed to get into our lives by God in order to give us the opportunity of proving our faith. You haven't proven anything as long as you're protected. You can go into the swimming pool and have somebody hold you for weeks on end swimming in the water, but you never know if you can swim until they let go. And you've got to do it on your own. You can be in the hands of your mother and father and never allow down on the floor to begin to walk. And that child will never learn how to walk until he gets on his own feet and undergoes the obstacles of learning how to, to manipulate those feet on his own. And he falls and he gets up and he falls and he gets up. And the parent stands aside and lets the child struggle in order that he will become strong and capable of walking. I have known children whose parents never let them out of the crib. I know of one case particularly. And that child had difficulty learning to walk because the parents never took them out of the crib, took him out of the crib in order to, to let him get down and crawl and learn how to walk. They kept him laying in the crib until he was well, well beyond the age of learning to walk. God won't do that to us. God blesses us in giving us the privilege of fighting against difficulties in order that we can be strong out of it and in order that we can bless him for our faith. Don't ask God to take away from you your difficulties. Ask him to give you strength to overcome them. Did you hear me? It's wrong for us to ask God to make it easy. It's right for us to ask God to give us the strength to overcome. So there was a day. All right, the situation is set now. God said, all right, you can do whatever you want. Oh, goodness, I'm running out of time. Do whatever you want, but you can't touch his body. That's another story coming sometime later. And so what happens on a particular day? If you go down through there in those verses, verse 14. Remember his children? They're having their party. They're having their good time. A messenger came running to Job. Verse 14, it says, The oxen and the asses were out plowing and feeding and so on. And suddenly, a group of marauders in verse 15, Sabians, that's southwest Arabia in the country that is now Yemen, uh, marauders from Yemen come and fall upon them and take them all, slay all the servants, and only one person's left to report the story. While he was telling uh, Job all of this story, Another one comes in verse 16 and says that fire fell from heaven and burned up all the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one that escaped. Uh, just while he was telling that, verse 17, 
Another one comes and say the Chaldeans came along and captured all of our camels and killed all the servants, and I'm the only one that's left to report the story. While he was telling that story, verse 18, another one comes and says your sons and daughters were having their party. They were eating and drinking wine in the elder brother's house, and there was a great wind that came and uh, fell, caused the house to fall, and they were all killed. Now you talk about a tragedy... Here, in a matter of a few minutes, everything this wealthy man owned was down the drain, gone completely, either killed or, or taken uh, as bounty. And he had nothing. You think we have difficulties. As the old saying is, you ain't seen nothing yet. Job had the extremes of difficulties. He lost everything he had. In one day's time, he was reduced to nothing. Tragedy upon top of tragedy. And what did Job do? Was he capable of meeting the task? Well, look at verse 20. Job heard all this and he arose and what did he do? Well, he rent his mantle, the King James says. That means he tore his clothes, a sign of grief. He obviously was in extreme grief. Job did not escape the, the difficulties of loss. All of his children killed in one sweep. Seven kids wiped out. We're not told about his grandchildren and others, but his seven children were all destroyed in one storm. All of his possessions were gone. And he was in extreme grief. And he tore his clothing as an attitude of his grief. And he shaved his head, which was an attitude of mourning. And then what did he do? He fell down on the ground and did what? Look at verse 20. He worshipped. When you and I have our tragedies, what's our first act? Is it to worship? Is it to praise God? Is it to come to church and pray and sing? He worshipped. That's quite a reaction. Now the question, was God's faith in Job justified? You bet it was. Because Job remained faithful to God and worshipped. Verse 21 was his response. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. And the Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. We said last Sunday night that we don't own anything. So why should we mourn the loss of anything? It all belongs to the Lord. He gave it to us, and he can, if he wants, take it away. And here was a man who had gained tremendous wealth and a fine family that God had given and he now sees it all gone in a matter of a day's time, and he still has enough uh, in him of the love of God to stand before God and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. In spite of all this difficulty. The question comes, why did God allow this tremendous tragedy? I think there are two answers. One deals with man and one deals with God himself. God proves Satan to be entirely wrong about man, about Job. 
He was wrong. Job would not curse God in spite of anything that might happen to him. And secondly, and more importantly, God got glory out of this. Listen, it is our job to give God glory. That's what we ought to do. If God gives us tremendous wealth, we ought to praise God. If God takes away from us our wealth, we ought to praise God. Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. He had been wealthy and he had been in poverty. He had been well and he had been sick. He had lots of friends and he had no friends. He had gone from one extreme to the other and he had learned whatever it is, it really makes no difference. I am going to be satisfied and content. And verse 22 says it so completely. In all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. In other words, if I can translate nor charge God foolishly, let me say it this way. Job did not attribute to God the responsibility of the tragedy that fell upon him. He didn't accuse God of doing something he should not have done. He accepted it and lived with it. Now from that point on, we have in the book of Job, we have his wrestling with the whys of this and, and the friends that came to him and tried to explain to him why all this had taken place, which is something entirely different that we could deal with tonight. But I think we can see well in this passage of Scripture that God was well justified in that he had a servant who would worship him and serve him in spite of whatever might come. How about you and me? Are we ready and willing to worship and praise God even should we lose everything we own? Can we still... Praise God. That's what Job did. And because of it, Satan lost face. Satan learned that he was not about to overcome the faith that Job had in his God. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.